0: All of us are on a journey of becoming, a never-ending journey in pursuit of truth and deeper union with the divine. As you know, faith is a complicated thing, and this journey of becoming can be both difficult and painful. Far too often, we have not been given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson, and I am also on this journey of becoming. I am dedicated to inviting you into my story and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. I want to take an honest look at the issues and questions so common to this shared journey. I want to genuinely seek out what it means to follow Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. I have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith but rather that both doubt and curiosity are two of faith's biggest allies. I have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And I believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining me on that journey. Hey friends, I have some good news for you. Rethinking Faith will be back in action once again this year at Theology Beer Camp as the God Pods strike back. This event will be October 19th through the 21st in Springfield, Missouri. And this year, the God Pods are looking amazing we have friends such as the new evangelicals you have permission homebrew christianity the bible for normal people crackers and grape juice a tiny revolution secret art project a people's theology Rev revcovery and more and on top of that we have some fun jedi masters hanging out bringing craft nerdiness such as john dominic carlson Reggie Williams, Adam Clark, Sarah Lane, Richie, Myron Penner, Thomas J. Orr, J McDaniel, Roberto Shea, Espinosa, Pete Enns, Leah Robertson, Tony Jones, and more. It is going to be a blast. For more information, head over to theologybeer.camp. You can use promo code RETHINKINGGODPOD, all one word, capital letters, RETHINKINGGODPOD for $25 off of your registration fee come on and hang out this year at theology beer camp it was a blast last year i enjoyed getting to see and meet so many of uh, of you listeners and i look forward to hanging out this year once again so again theologybeer.camp and use promo code rethinkinggodpod hope to see you guys there All right, friends, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josh Patterson, and joining me today is my new friend, Kenneth McIntosh. Kenneth, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing
1: great, Josh, and I really appreciate your invitation to be here on the podcast with you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was uh, excited to to get connected with you um, after I came across uh, actually what we'll end up talking about today um in a little bit your book Oak and Lotus. Um and so I was I was grateful that uh you responded and uh, decided to to come and hang out for, for some time today. I appreciate it. Um but before we kind of uh jump into a discussion um you know around uh your new book, I was wondering if you'd be willing to maybe share with our listeners a little bit about yourself, maybe um who you are, what kind of things you find yourself doing. Yeah, you know, things like that. Sure. i love to. So uh
1: I I've had a, a long career as uh on the one hand being a pastor, uh, which included planting and what we used to call emergent church. Uh and I guess now it would be progressive or, or something. And uh I, I've I've <laughs> I've been rather profligate in my denominational loyalty or lack thereof. I've been in six different Christian denominations in the course of 33 years as as a minister. But, and you know, it's like one church that I once interviewed with. They were like, oh, you're not blue name of denomination enough. You know, you're not loyal enough. And I'm like, OK, cool. I'm not your man. You know, totally not. And and then But then others like the church I'm at now in the United Church of Christ, they're like, that is so great because people from this church come from like 30 different backgrounds and we're all different and we're all over the spectrum. So, you know, it works. And, And I think that's kind of, you know, my personality. I've always tried to build bridges, to make connections, which is probably why Oak and Lotus, partly why Oak and Lotus, you know, happened. It's a big, diverse world. God made a lot of different people, cultures, and, and you know, uh, there are a lot of spiritualities that record people's experiences of God. So I, I try and hit that diversely. Um, I've also been an educator uh, as well. And most often I've been both uh, right now is kind of unusual. I'm not teaching at any level, but for um, you know I've been I've taught junior high senior high. I taught college for a decade comparative religions, which is why partly that fed into this, although teaching college comparative religions came out of my my experience before that. but uh and I, I currently, you know, I, I am a pastor at a medium-sized uh, church, which again is very diverse, very involved in social justice and uh, wonderfully open to spiritual practices from a variety of traditions. I'm also my where my heart has drawn me uh, has been particularly toward Celtic Christian uh, expressions of the faith, and, uh, my wife and I are uh vowed members of the community of Aden Hilda, which is a Celtic neo-monastic uh community. Obviously, we can be monks and married in that, as the ancient Celtic monks were. But uh and uh so you know I do a lot of writing and speaking broadly about Celtic Christianity. Uh Also, I've been a facilitator and founder for a number of forest churches and part of the forest church uh, movement, which is sort of a nature mysticism uh, approach to uh, faith. Um, I have had the privilege of publishing now 10 books with uh, Anam Kara on uh, Celtic and and contemplative uh, Christian uh, spirituality. And uh, I, let's see. I love fountain pens, you know, I'm obsessed with them. That's one of my few real, genuine addictions. I I love vinyl LPs. That's another addiction. Um, And it's kind of fascinating, you know, I love the internet. I love being on this podcast, but, you know, fountain pens, vinyl, I kind of like old school stuff. I love things like I can buy something from the 1950s and it works, you know, it's just a, a neat
0: feelings so uh that's who i am awesome well thank you uh thank you for sharing all of that um it may so it makes me interested because <clears throat> you have been uh you know you mentioned um celtic uh, christianity and spirituality um and how you've you know written a lot about that how like is that something that kind of like you grew up with it you know grew up within that tradition or is is Celtic um, spirituality something you kind of came to later in life like how did you kind of you know find yourself in that that uh, sphere of things you said something and then you said or something and
1: both are true and the older I get you know I used to be what i call a a very black and white boundary sort of christian um as a christian i kind of started being discipled in a uh, uh calvinistic and a very conservative perspective everything was diced and cut just right you know color in the lines totally uh and the older i get i i i think more like Father Richard Rohr in, in non-dual, you know, not non-binary. Um, it's not either or, it's both and. And uh, sometimes it drives people crazy, but now my standard response is that this or this, I'll usually say, well, in this case it is both. Yes, it is my heritage, but it's something I came to later in life. So to quick explain that, uh, I was raised in uh, with parents who were kind of in different spiritual wavelengths. My mom was a Methodist, very bread and butter, uh, heartland uh, Christianity, um, very devout, dear, you know, and both my parents were wonderful, wonderful people. I thank God do not have big parent issues. I really don't. My father, however, was Unitarian and, and you know, Unitarians are all across the board, but he was in the atheist camp Unitarium, you know, the, 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 there's, you know, kind of forget the hocus pocus, we care about the ethics and, and that sort of thing. And, and so I kind of, you know, I kind of fell between the cracks in my own approach and uh, got a lot more, frankly, in high school, got into, you know, drugs and rock and stuff and, and some eastern religion curiously there just because it was hip and cool to to do when you weren't stoned you know kind of thing uh and but but i was very aware growing up of my heritage uh both sides of the family i'm about 80% scots heritage okay and then i have some irish and, and some scandinavian but uh so you know that was really That was really important. I knew our clan Tartan. I loved the sound of the bagpipes. Um, I could tell you all the stories about our. It was our clan and the Cummings clan and we have 200 year history of slaughtering each other just by it's like Game of Thrones. It really is. There was like this big banquet. Everyone got invited to, and they slaughtered everyone. And I mean, no, seriously, it was it was anyway. That was the stuff. So I grew up, and I also was fascinated by Arthurian mythology and the Welsh Mabinogian, and so very curiously, the not explicitly Christian Celtic mythology and culture was very much part of my my upbringing. And actually, as a, as a child. I mean, curiously, I found meaning in that. I so I asked my father at one point in fourth grade. I read Bullfinch's Age of Mythology. It's a horrible introduction to Arthurian lore. Don't don't bother with the thing. But but it was my great grandfather's, like from the eighteen hundreds book, and, and I I, uh, I read it. I told my father. I said, okay, this book is just so weird. It's full of these strange strange things but I can't put it down. What is this? And my dad said something truly brilliant. He said, Kenneth, these are the stories who tell us who we are. That's my best definition of mythology to this day. I'm a huge believer in the power of myth. And there are true myths, as C.S. Lewis would call Christianity. That I mean, So when you say something is a myth, that does not mean it's not historical. Uh, you know, um, it could have physical space and time reality and be entirely, you know, true historically, but still, you know, something that determines who we are. So I came up with that mythic sense of the importance of the, the Celtic bit. Then I had a radical conversion when I was 18 years old and, you know, I've gone through kind of a massive deconstruction since then, Josh, but the there was a night in the Smoky Mountains that I asked Jesus to come wholesale and and enter my life. And that was truly a deflection point. And I can honestly say that the me before that was uh, terribly uh, selfish, narcissistic, um, hedonistic, I think is the word I, I want. And I could be not very nice at all. I can still be not very nice at the right old moment, but uh, but really, uh, it was a demarcation. It was a deflection point. It really, after I advised Christ in my life, I started changing. I really kind of did, and I believe that that was when I engaged seriously with God, and God transformed my life. So I, I trace a lot to that at age eighteen, and then I became introduced to a new set of stories. Obviously, to the Bible and uh, committed very quickly to the Bible and uh, jumped into Christian discipleship and uh, grew rapidly and came under the influence, like I said, of a five-point Calvinist, inerrantist, very conservative church uh, setting, but some dear, dear people who loved me and poured themselves into me. And I imbibed some horribly wrong things, but a lot of good things. And honestly, the Sense I got was all the myths and legends of my childhood, they're just you know fables, just never mind that stuff, you know, get into the Bible, get into God's Word. And then there came a point, uh, without going into detail, where evangelicalism and, and, and the, the brand I was in uh quit working and it just wasn't fitting me, like, and my soul and it just weren't occupying well the same spaces. And about and 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 I had learned about the historical manner of Celtic Christianity. I'd read about Saint Patrick and Saint Columba and so on. And this was very interesting historical stuff. But it hadn't occurred to me that it could be a way to live now. That that expression of Christian faith was relevant. And I was at a retreat at a, a monastery. Uh, Mount Savior Monastery, uh, a a quiet retreat for a long weekend. And in the bookstore there, they had Michael Minton's Celtic Spirituality and the Life of His Saints. And I bought the book and and it was like this light bulb going on because what Minton uh, did uh, was that he uh, explained that there were principles of the way that Christianity worked for these people uh, 1,600 years ago that, that could work for us now and actually be a very healthy and, and life-giving manner of following Christ. And that just started things off. And that led to oh, maybe six years, quite a while of experimentation, of just trying puzzling things out on my own a lot of which wound up in my book, "Water from an Ancient Well." My uh, my major book, "Water from an Ancient Well: Celtic Spirituality for Modern Life," is my bestseller. It's sold well over thirty thousand copies. Um, if people don't know me as the pastor of Honeywood United Church of Christ, they they know me as the author of "Water from an Ancient Well," uh, and you know, some seminaries and colleges have used it, study groups have used it, and so on. But uh, anyway, so I started kind of putting this all together. I'm a huge believer you have to live something before you try and teach it. Uh, I can't emphasize that enough. I, I think there are a lot of spiritual jerks in the world who are causing all kinds of mayhem and frustration and, and and confusion because they haven't lived into what they're proclaiming. And I really wanted to make sure this stuff was genuine, that it worked and, uh, then wrote it down. And it turned out that Michael Medden, who wrote that book, was one of the founding members of the community of Aden Hilda, which I became part of. And I got to it was very privileged. I've been able to travel to the British Isles uh, and Ireland repeatedly on other people's dimes, asked to speak or sent over um, at my publisher's behest. and uh, and that made a lot of wonderful connections and deepened that. So, so long short yes the celtic part was my mythic childhood and then it's something i refound after i became a christian and it's been the way of following christ that fits like a hand in glove with my own particular soul and i'd never say this is the way i would never say this is the best way you know i used to be like i have christianity right you all listen to the right Christianity, you know, which is what I'm telling you. And I I don't do that trip anymore. Uh, The only thing I'll claim is this works for me. And I'm happy to share what works for the same with Oak and Lotus. I can't emphasize that enough. You know, Um, some people are like, well, this really isn't where I'm at. I'm like, great, don't buy the book, please. You'll waste your money. And, 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 and don't try to fit into something that's not you. Everyone will be unhappy, especially yourself. You know, if it happens to resonate, then maybe there's something helpful for you. And I'm thrilled about that. But I would, I don't, this isn't for everybody. I don't think there is one spiritual path for everyone exactly the same.
0: Yeah, I I really appreciate your emphasis <clears throat> on kind of the um almost like the the pragmatic aspect of things like even when you know we were kind of talking offline before this um you you know i, I had shot over like a quick um outline to you and uh <laughs> you had kind of asked to like rephrase it a little bit because it was too i was being too heady and you you were more interested in the the actual pragmatic the transformational aspect the uh walking what you're preaching, as you were just saying. Um and I really appreciated that. That, excuse me, sorry. I really appreciated that because um something that I used to talk about um on the show more frequently with my my previous uh co-host Greg uh was what Greg liked to refer to as like the three centers of knowing like head, heart and and body. Um, mm. And I tend to be a very heady person. And trying you know um more and more you know each day to to live more in um all three centers and so it's helpful uh getting your message just to kind of like remind myself to like okay like take a breather it's all good um and let's you know let's uh kind of sink into this let's uh look at i think how you phrased it, it was like you are more interested in the transformative aspect, um, the try this on and see what happens kind of vibe. And so I, I really appreciated that about um, our, like that brief conversation uh, things you just said, and also kind of how you wrote your book. Um,
1: so. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. I mean, the reason that I got, you know, the, the I grew into the Celtic Christian ethos, But then also the reason that I got involved into the Eastern wisdom, it's been because of my own life needs. And, and, you know, I've been on a long journey seeking wisdom and practices that make my life work. And when I say make life work, uh, the, you know, I, I think initially it was needing Well, needing to cope, to be honest. Uh, I went through a major deconstruction that, you know, some things in life just went horribly bad. And I made some choices that made the horribly bad worse. And and that was kind of the the worst aspect of it, you know, is hurting like crazy, going bonkers and realizing you're partly to blame and playing some high stakes games. and and in, in, in out of and one thing was curious is my old theology kind of uh, burned to the ground, most of it. I people don't believe me, but I really think seventy percent of what I believed didn't work. It was just like straw burning up, just whoosh. In fact, there were some parts of it that they not only didn't work, they made what I was going through worse, and. And up until then it had been it had been very cerebral for me. It had all been in the head. It was very propositional. I believe the right things, things are gonna go okay. And and I realized I believe all these things, and things are going to hell in a basket. So it wasn't working. And so a lot of that I just like shoot, this is no, no, not worth anything. Uh, and yet, curiously, out of that. There were there were two things that, that happened. Uh, one thing is I had a real sense of the uh um how 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 to put this of Christ as my suffering companion that I I felt I knew. Not theologically, that Christ hurt with me, that He felt my pain, and was sorrowing. Um, it's it, it, it's a, you know it's, it's it, it, and what's funny is I never heard of process theology at that point, but it's a very you know the, the companion who, who walks alongside us. You know it it, it, it fits with with that. Um, also Wolfhart Pandenberg's um theology of the suffering christ but but i wasn't thinking that never here i am getting heady putting labels on it but but i knew christ was with me you couldn't and you'll never take that away from me i don't think that's why i remain a christ follower that is the core of the heart of my being uh um when i talk to some of my friends more into the the asian religions i tell them christ is my heart guru uh, which is like saying lord and savior in evangelical circles but but it's true. Uh, Jesus is my closest friend on earth forever. Period. Um, and and that was real. The other curious thing is, someone gave me a copy of Anthony de Mello's book, um, "The Way to Love." And de Mello, uh, coming as a Catholic priest, but in India and learning from gurus, learning from the Indian, the Hindu and Buddhist wisdom of that country, and that was really, some things there, I was like, wow, this is starting, it was like rungs on the ladder. So Christ and DeMillo were like rungs on the ladder, climbing out of the pit. And uh, so it worked. And, you know, that led into interest and studying, and that led to teaching comparative religion at college, and, and to the christians and the diverse christian spirituality that i pursue today
0: yeah that um resonates uh so so much with a lot of my own um kind of story and experience um <clears throat> i've talked about it before but i i had a um an experience one day when i was sitting at the table you know reading you know some kind of dense theology book because that's what I did um and my wife Noelle she asked me she was like Josh like what are you looking for Mm -hmm. and I kind of wrote her off at the time like what do you mean like that's a like that's a dumb question leave me alone (laughs) I'm trying Mm -hmm. trying to read about God or something like that um and ultimately it it was kind of you know In a time of of great deconstruction, which I most definitely have experienced, that lack of certainty um, can kind of become scary, right? And so, at least I found within myself a tendency to return back to to head to proposition, um, in like for like a, some kind of certainty or something like that. Um, but rather, what I have found, uh, you know, homo- amongst the mystics, is this more experiential um kind of faith the faith not built on these kind of propositional truths but rather this experience of the Divine um that of course you know the 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 um nerdy theology stuff still has a place um it's important uh but also the experiential aspect um where I know things in a in a deeper way like you were saying um, has been very helpful for myself and that i found that you know uh amongst the mystics i i love de Mello. he's uh i've read a couple of his books um i found lots of help uh through tic not han um, mm-hmm. zen you know a zen buddhist um and yeah and also um i've read some books on on celtic uh christianity and spirituality um and that just really seems uh to resonate with me as well especially uh, you might appreciate this. I have um, a statue here on my desk, yeah. uh, St. Brigid or Brigid. Um, I don't quite know how to pronounce her name properly. Uh, but when I was uh, still a brewer, um, this statue sat with me <laughs> <laughs> on my brew house at work every day. Uh, and I just really loved that. So, um, And I, I know she was someone you mentioned in uh, in your book. Well, that's
1: all. That's awesome. You know, the, the patron saint of ale makers uh, yes. and, and her, her her poem, I should like a great lake of beer for Christ and his disciples to swim Amen. in. <laughs> and, and yeah, well, I, I don't know if you know this. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm by the way, there there's about a dozen pronunciation of, you know, uh, Bridget, Bridget. Brigitte, Brighty, Bride—it goes on and on. I mean, she is renowned in many different cultures. I do mention her, yes, in this book. I mention her more in "Water from an Ancient Will. But um, I wrote a book. I know I, I co-wrote. I co-wrote a book, "Bridget's Mantle: A Celtic Dialogue Between Pagan and Christian," and what. I'm really feel good. So I co wrote it with Lily Weichberger. Lily is a Celtic shamanic practitioner. Uh, You could think of her as a Druid and uh, a Celtic pagan, and I'm a Celtic Christian. And some years ago, we lived in the same town. We both did our spiritual practices with different communities there, and a mutual friend. Said Kenneth and Lily, you both love Bridget. I said, You, you know, we both said yes. For Lily, Bridget is the goddess. For me, Bridget is uh the saint that I, I feel closest to. And uh so the uh so she said, Well, could the two of you sit down and just have a conversation with a, a live audience and talk about Bridget? So we did that. Uh, Together, and that led to more conversations, and that led to this book, Bridget's Mantle. And I'm really happy about the fact this, to the to my my knowledge, it was the first uh, book that was a serious, deep discussion between you know Christian into Celtic spirituality and a Celtic pagan, both convinced. Not trying, we were not trying to one up each other. We weren't arguing but we were comparing notes and we were comparing notes of this being that we both experienced that is bridges and what delights me is i've 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 had pagans say you know i read that book and uh, you all you christians aren't all i thought you know aren't as bad as i thought but but then I've had Christians say, you know, I read the book and Lily's pretty cool. And those pagans aren't those horrible, you know, spooky people, I thought. And it, it, it's been a bridge. It's brought people uh, together. And so, uh, yeah, I just love Bridget. I, I, I mentioned in Oak and the Lotus, she's very much like Quan Yin, the Bodhisattva of compassion. Um, both of, you know they are very similar they're an embodiment of caring of compassion and uh they are called upon when you're ready to punch someone and your heart needs to be converted and you need the strength for that and uh they both kind of unique saints in their respective spirituality so i think of them as sort of the irish and uh you know chinese uh sisters uh together so <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I love that, and I I love, too, if I remember correctly, part of the um, mythology around um, St. Brigid is that uh, she kind of was this um, in-between bridge builder like you're talking about, right? There's uh, kind of this idea that she wasn't born uh, inside of the house or outside of the house, but right in the middle of the doorway. Um,
1: She, She was born on... Uh, February 1st, which is the exact exact transition from winter to spring in Celtic Reckoning. She was born in the doorway of a barn, either inside or outside. She was born on the moment the dawn sun rose. So she was born between night and day. So she's the perfect liminal um, in-between person. And I write write more about this elsewhere. She, She uh, really breaks down our binary thinking, which is why she's perfect for our time. She breaks down our dualistic thinking between male and female roles, between pagan and Christian uh, worldview, between rich and uh, poor. Uh, you know, she is just Oh, and between the animal world and the human world, because uh, she, she was the doorway of a barn. Her mother had just been milking. So, so you know, she she is a a nexus point between all these uh, various things. She's also, I point out in the book, the in Hinduism. Uh, this is a real veering off, but in Hinduism there are four major ways to grow spiritually, to grow in union with God, the four yoga paths. And I'm not talking yoga like bending and spandex, sahatha yoga, but 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 yoga as a spiritual uh pathway. And one of them is is karmic yoga, which uh is not mean do good things so you get paid back. That's totally a, a bastardization of that idea. But uh, it's the active way of approaching god is for people that like to use their hands you know um at my church there are some people they they couldn't explain uh, process theology to you or open source theology or whatever you know they can, they can't do open, you know but uh, they work hard every week hauling a ton of food into the food pantry and then handing it back out. And they'll jump in their car and drive out in the woods to someone that can't get help that they need or whatever. You know, They, they put their bodies to God's use. Ab- absolutely. And um, so that, that really is karmic yoga. It's the active body path to connection uh, with God. And Bridget is... A fascinating example of that. One thing I find really interesting and different from a lot of the male saints, uh, even in Celtic Christianity, is the fact that Bridget was a very practical, hands-on follower of Christ. So she grew up uh, basically as a, a farm girl grew up taking care of the cows and the pigs and doing the domestic chores. And here's what fascinates me is, yes, she does absolute miracles. There are many miracle stories, but typical, like if you had a typical male saint and someone needed milk, they'd like snap their fingers and everything would be full or something. Bridget goes out and milks her cow which which always has milk, whenever, you are know, for everyone who needs it. Or Bridget actually churns the butter. She's She's got to have her hands, you know, sliding up and down on the wood and feeling the, you know, the stiffness and the, the muscle ache uh, of that. But, and she brews the beer. She doesn't just Take picture, you know, like Jesus took gallons of wine and or water and turned it into wine. She doesn't do that, you know. And it fascinates me that even when she's this great holy woman, um, the stories are she's working, she's doing the farm stuff, she's getting her hands dirty and she's getting sweaty to provide for people's needs. She's a perfect karmic uh, yogi, or or uh, you know, a very earthy, hands-on,
0: embodied
1: Christian saint.
0: Yeah, that... <laughs> I love that it it, it, it kind of reminds me of, like, um, basically this kind of idea of, like, you know, uh, humans uh, created to image the divine. Because, um, you know, if we think God is, like, spirit, uh, then God needs... Um, people or creation or whatever to kind of be imaged. And so someone like um St. Bridget actively embodying right what it means to uh be like a God, right? And and physically going out and and doing the milking and and brewing the beer and, you know, f- um feeding the homeless and these kind of things. It's just kind of cool because it's like if it, there's this active participatory uh embodiment. It's that kind of like pragmatic um you know, putting on the things, you know, before you go and teach it, uh, like you were talking about earlier. Um, and that's, it, r- that's really cool yeah. about her. And, and she, uh, I, I, Oh, no, I'll just show you this real quick too. Cause, um, when I was still working at full tilt before they, uh, closed down, um, they let me make this, uh, it's a Celtic red, um, and it has uh, St. Brigid on it, and then it even has a part of uh, uh, one of her prayers or the the poem you referenced earlier, and it says, I'd sit with the men, the women, and God, there by the lake of beer. We'd be drinking good health forever, and every drop would be a prayer. And so we released this twice, two years in a row, for um, St. Patrick's Day, and I absolutely love this. I still keep some in my fridge. Uh, I don't want to drink it. <laughs>
1: I think you have to keep <laughs> one can
0: for me. So if I sounds ever, good.
1: If I'm ever in Maryland, um, we or were you at the Wild
0: Goose this year? But by, by, by the not, way, not I was okay. not at Wild Goose this year. However, um, that is a place our pat our uh, paths might cross at some point.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty much part of the goose every year. So I'm gonna say, say save one can, and we can sit there. At night, and uh, let's
0: let's hope to share that someday. I like it. I I still have a decent bit of it left in my fridge, so I'll I'll be sure to hold on to some. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know we've we've talked a lot about um Bridget and some of kind of the transformative power she's had for you. Um, are there any other um, like whether it be like Celtic Celtic saints or maybe spiritual practices within that tradition? that have um, been particularly helpful or transformative um, for you that you'd like to share? Well, practice, as we discussed earlier, practice is
1: everything, really. You know, it's where the rubber meets the road. So uh, in Oak and low actually, mo- like Water from an Ancient Well and Oak and Lotus, what I'll do is I'll close every chapter with a sizable section of explicit practices and so I, I give a list at every chapter of practices from you know the, the different spiritual uh traditions and 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 I gotta emphasize for me again I'm to real quickly to explain what the book is not because I think a, a book like you know interspirituality is a new enough field uh that uh, there's some misunderstandings sometimes Uh, And I'm not suggesting a hybrid religion. I'm not trying to say we should all have a mashup of Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism with our Christianity. Some people may do that. And that's great if that's their path. That's that's just not what it is for me. Um, And I'm not giving a definitive understanding of different religions. As it says in the book, Religions are more like a river than they are a rock. We think they are solid; they are one thing. Every religion evolves, changes. There are currents and tributaries and different pools that come off of it. It's always moving, and and so you know, I could never say this is Buddhism or this is Taoism or whatever. And and just like in Christianity. Literally, God knows we Christ followers fight over who's got it right and wrong, and and, and we're all human, and, and, you know, Hindus and Buddhists can get in some really fascinating discussions. No, it's not this, it's this other thing, but... Uh, so I'm not trying, I'm I'm not trying to write the definitive. If you really want to understand Hinduism or Buddhism, you know, find a Hindu teacher, find a Buddhist teacher and dive in both feet. What, what I'm sharing is from my understanding, what I know of practices, this is what is helpful. But the beauty of it for me is it helps me see Christ better, really and truly. It makes me a better Christ follower. So, For example, I go into the details of this in the book, but Christ, you know, Christ's big thing in the Gospels actually is not how to die and go to heaven. Uh, It it, it is not how to take over the world politically and make everyone behave the way you want them to and uh, take advantage of them. Uh, Jesus' big thing really comes down to uh, three words, don't be afraid. I mean, really, he keeps saying that in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not be anxious. You know, he appears after the resurrection. Fear not. And and on and on. And the, the late, great uh, Marcus Borg, who I loved dearly, um, still do in glory. But anyway, uh, you know, Dr. Borg uh, said the opposite of faith is not unbelief the opposite of faith is fear and anxiety and that's kind of hard and here's the thing i struggled horrible. i struggled for for years i would have told you that the painful part of being a christ follower was that i got i knew christ kept saying don't be afraid And I was very fearful about many things. It was a dominant force in my life. It led me down some dark and wrong places. And I really struggled with that. And this is what might sound heretical to some, but what I'm coming to is that Jesus told us, don't be afraid, but he didn't give us the practices that really were a practical road to doing that. And I think, this I get from Cynthia Bourgeau and her wisdom, Jesus. Jesus was an Eastern wisdom teacher. And people knew these practices. Jesus says, my yoke is easy. Well, yoke and yoga come from the same root. It's practices, it's spiritual practices. But but uh, the Buddha, Gotama Buddha, Dedicated his life to teaching us how not to be afraid, in essence. Uh the Buddha didn't talk a lot about relationship with creator or Abba God or anything of that. In fact, he he didn't speak about uh, um beyond this world aid uh, in his lifetime. But uh Gautama Buddha focused on how do you cope with life? How can you be uh really wonderfully resilient, calmly resilient, um, even when the bottom drops out. And by the way, I think, Josh, here is the need of our time. In my, I'm being very opinionated here, but in, in my view, really what the world needs now is a way to be joyfully resilient, to be calm, and compassionate in a world with existential crises coming down. I don't mean, you know, I preached last Sunday at my church. My my sermon was peace like a river in the age of climate crisis. And, you know, it, that really... W- The zeitgeist of our time, you and I rub against people every day. They're so stressed over the political situation, over the violence in our country, um, over their economic struggles, uh, over natural disasters, you know, and the, the really real threats to our world. And then you've got Putin and nuclear. I mean, we have existential crises. How do you not freak? How do you not just break down? And you see the hopelessness. You see the despair. The right suicide is the second cause of death for Americans ten to eighteen years old. That's tragic. Um, So anyway, all that to say, uh, the Buddha really that was what he was about was how do we cope? How do we cope very effectively? With every, and that's what the you know, that's what Buddha's four basic concepts are about. Uh, you know, that is what the Dharma wheel is about, it's all about. And so, curiously, as I learned some of this, and you know, DeMello helped. And And Pema Children has helped, and you know, just a lot of practice has helped. It's helped me to follow Christ, I've become a better Christ follower, and I've learned to be less afraid. So, you know, that's where I say the teachings of the Buddha have definitely made me a happier, more effective follower uh, of Christ than, than I was uh, previously in the same way, you know, Taoism, uh, and and this, this, uh, this ties in a lot, I think with the, uh, interview that, that you did, uh, earlier with, uh, Grace Jisun Kim, and she was talking about chi and the Holy Spirit. And, you know, to me, Taoism is uh, it's galatians 5 where saint paul says walk by the spirit well again it's this thing that was very intangible we're all supposed to be spirit-led but a lot of the christians i knew they couldn't really tell me a lot about the spirit it just i mean it, it was not as important as all these propositions I knew a lot of Christians who could outline the Spirit is the Advocate. The Spirit will lead you into all truth. The Spirit is the third person of God. The Spirit is the imminent you know, of God or whatever. Okay, so how do I walk by the Spirit? You know, it just wasn't it wasn't happening. And uh, really, you know, Taoism's idea of Wu Wei of go with the divine flow. That really, and, and that too took a while. Uh, I When I talk comparative religions, I, I could tell you two things personally about Taoism. One is that I was fascinated by it. I have been, and I, I learned, I encountered Taoism teaching. Then I met a master and, and spent quite, I had long, deep conversations for quite a while with the Taoist adept. A lineage holder in the mystical Taoist uh, ascendant spirit tradition, and uh, I knew there was something really valuable there, but it confused me. Even listening to a lineage holder, it confused me worse. You know, and uh, I've I've had Stephen Mitchell's translation of the Tao Te Ching sitting around, you know, for a couple years on the coffee table. I'd pick it up and read a little bit of it and chew on it and think. And the curious thing about Taoism is you have to live into it. You really, really do. You can't just read it and get a concept and oh yeah, but when you do what it says repeatedly for quite a while uh, and I really think Uh, you know, again, I'm coming to a point where, okay, this is making sense. I'm understanding the go with the flow a lot more, even as a minister, uh, vocationally, and even when things get rather tense, uh, or they should get rather tense, and it makes a difference. So, and that's a basic part of my Christian faith, is staying in step with spirit, following spirit, being spirit-led, spirit-driven. Taoism has really helped me to understand some of the practical tools, and I talk about that in my book, for following the Holy Spirit. So it's made me a better Christ follower.
0: Yeah, I... I don't know. I, I just I keep coming back to this, the emphasis on on practice. And that's just because that's been experientially true for myself as well. Um, I mean, I think about I mean, kind of that like um, go with the flow of the spirit bit you're talking about, or even um, some of the ways that um, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh within the Zen Buddhist tradition uh, would talk about um non-attachment, um not in the sense where it's like, you know, I think we can fall into this trap of of thinking that, you know, people like Thich Nhat Han mean that you just say like, oh, middle finger to the world, I'm out. I'm not attached to it anymore. <laughs> uh, rather than recognizing uh that the non-attachment is actually a deep way of living into the world um and a- accepting things uh for what they are and and kind of um with the Taoist aspect there of kind of going with the the divine flow and spirit and that's those things have been deeply helpful um for me in in something that you know jesus talked about um or like the idea of like the peace that passes understanding i didn't know what the heck that was <laughs> mm-hmm. until i encountered some of these practices um Within again, specifically for me, um, Taoism and and Buddhism, um, I don't know as much or haven't experienced as much uh Hinduism, um, which actually I really enjoyed uh some of those practices and, and things you put in the book in in regards to Hinduism for that very reason. Um but yeah, I, I don't know. I just I think um these things just resonate with me on on like such a deep level. Um and I I don't know that that's exciting to me. <laughs> and I love that you kind of have this uh heart and desire to invite people into uh the practice. Um and again with no uh expectations, right? As you said earlier in the interview, if this works for me and not for you, that's okay. Uh find what works for you. So
1: A- absolutely. You know, I think I think a lot of people get into spiritual practice out of desperation. Maybe I I did initially, Uh, I, I, I think, I think my, I'm not sure I would articulate it then, but, but my, my need was I have to cope. I have to not be destroyed. You know, I, I have to hold down a job, help my family and, get up in in the morning and get dressed and do my thing okay you know kind of a, a a level and then you you get better at that and and of course you know it depends if you're going through a real crisis or or, or not but but even in crisis uh as one learns to to not be controlled by one's attachments and to not be controlled controlled by the false constructs that our mind creates that are fantasies then you start experiencing what the real goal the ultimate goal is and hinduism is very clear very clear about this the yoga paths they're ultimate purpose is not that you'll be happier, you will, not that you'll be less anxious, though you will, not that it could pull you out of a depression, it might, but union with the divine, that this is the ultimate. And this is obviously the whole point, we are to grow up into Christ, we become partakers of the divine nature. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, is no longer I who live but Christ who lives within me. That union is what we're made for. That union is our our, our purpose and our destiny. And you do start experiencing that more as you grow in these uh, practices. I I think that most people have uh, moment. Momentary encounters with transcendence. And, you know, this happens in various times. Uh, you know, I, in the book, I recount Beat Griffith's uh, encounter with the, the numinous and, and uh, you know Thomas Merton's encounter walking down the street in Louisville is very famous, but you know we have these moments. But but you grow more into it, more sense of, of the presence of God, more conviction that God. You really God is more with you. Doesn't mean you're perfect. You'll still do silly things now and then. You know we we still we can still do. We have to learn to live skillfully all the time. Which, by the way, my my way of understanding sin, here's where Buddhism has been helpful too, is, have you ever noticed, Christians, they'll all say, we're all sinners, theologically. And then, some people, I'm sorry, but you hang around them, and you get the sense, like, those people, the bloopity bloop, are sinners. Not me, you know. Or we'll talk about their sin, which is bad, which has to be outlawed. But my sin isn't really so big a deal. It's not a, you know, and and, and ultimately the whole point of spiritual practice, I think, and of Christ, the whole God's whole point in us is to start with us, you know, take out the 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 mode in your own eye uh, first, and and so anyway, um. Where where was I going with this spiritual practice? (laughs) We wait, we were. I was on the, I was right on the trail going somewhere there and and I got off. Oh, skillfully, skillfully. So it's really hard. I've, uh, for years, I'd never been in a group where Christians could talk about their sin. That's one beautiful thing about 12-step programs. AA, you can talk about illness. And what some people call sin, some people call illness. I won't get into that. It's a long-side discussion. But um, practicing with a Buddhist sangha in the community I used to live in out west, uh, what I loved was they would have teaching for about half an hour about how to live skillfully how to you know the eightfold dharma wheel aspects of the dharma wheel how we do right practice how we make a right living how we have right sexual ethics all these things and very concrete stuff and then there'd be a half hour sitting meditation mindfulness meditation and then there'd be a discussion afterward just those who wish to would stay and talk with the teacher And talk about this week. I didn't really handle this situation skillfully. And next time, it would be more skillful to handle it this other way. And I thought, wow, they're talking about ethics, they're talking about right behavior without the judgment on it it wasn't like i'm bad i'm going to hell and i'm going to hate myself and i'm going to get clobbered because i didn't live skillfully it was just a matter of fact yeah i'm a creature creatures sometimes do things more or less skillfully i want to learn how to do better so let's talk so i appreciate being able to talk about it and you know sin sin hamartia in the greek is missing the mark it's just, it's just shooting it. It means you didn't get a bullseye. You're somewhere in the five ring or something instead of the 10, you know, but, but, uh, it really is saying sometimes we live skillfully and sometimes less so, and it does make a difference for the world and for our relations and because we're all connected how we live. And so again, and I've been able here to, to, uh, you know, uh, we have a contemplative living group where people can talk about how we lived skillfully or we didn't during the past week. And there's, there's not the shame and there's not the fear. Um, there's confidentiality, there's acceptance, but it really helps. Again, Buddhism gave me a language for some really important, you know, James says, "Confess your sins to one another." How many Christians really do that constructively? I had to be in a Buddhist sangha to see what that felt like and how wonderful and freeing it is. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I love that, <laughs> and I, hmm. yeah, it. So as you're as you're speaking, it it's kind of um, it got me speaking or um, thinking rather. Um, and like stirring some stuff with up within myself. Uh, and so I'm going to ask you a question that's kind of, um, personal for myself, uh, as you're speaking, because these like, Hmm, I'm trying to think how, how to phrase this or or where to kind of start with it. Um, these different practices as, as you were, um, talking about and and demonstrating, um, are deeply helpful and impactful and i have um had seasons in my life where um i was very heavily um into my practice more contemplative type stuff or um you know the zen buddhist type stuff and then it it seems like more recently i've kind of as i was alluded to earlier re- you know returns back to a familiar place in my head and there's this kind of, um, I don't know, a lore longing, uh, invitation into returning back to some of these, uh, more contemplative, uh, practices. Right. But there's a weird kind of, um, almost like a fear in that for me, um, kind of in the sense where <laughs> I feel like, uh, you know, like Jonah, when Jonah is like, look, dude, here's the deal, God. I don't want to go talk to these people because I know how good you are, know how loving you are, know how great you are. And you're going to give these people things that I don't think they should have. And then Jonah just like, oh, complains. And it's like, I should rather just be dead (laughs) kind of thing. Right. Jonah's being this real curmudgeon. Um, But for myself, there seems to be kind of this almost like a fear to like really jump back in and fully engage because I know um, how truly good and, and peaceful and true and beautiful um, the divine is and that there might be some kind of uh, um, like, I don't know callings or ramifications that come (laughs) through engaging in that sense. Does that make sense? Um, It's this like really weird season. I haven't really, I haven't explained it publicly ever, but like, I I don't have good words for it. And so I'm wondering if it um, resonates with you at all, or like hits you in a certain kind of way, or maybe if you experience something similar and hopefully I explained myself well, Um, but it's just, it's, it's kind of (laughs) weird. Do you think you're talking about trust? Hmm. I could be it could yeah. actually, yes, all right, it, say
1: it, more it, well, again, dear Dr. Borg in uh, uh, oh, I, and I don't remember which of his books it is., uh, but um was it no, anyway, one of his might be meeting Christ again for the first time. I can't remember one of his one of his books. He talks about faith as uh, as floating in water, just believing in buoyancy. You know, you 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 can do it, but then you get frayed and you start thrashing around, and then you're not on top, and then you're going under, and it's not working. And, and just entrusting in the buoyancy of of God, uh, I think that. There are multiple things. I'm going to give a horribly old-fashioned answer. Uh, bear in mind, I'm still serving the United Church of Christ vocationally. A- and uh, I'm not part of the great leaving of clergy. I'm not part of the great uh, disappearance of Christian churches. Uh I do think community is vital, uh, and it doesn't matter which. I mean, again, I, I found a Buddhist sangha to be a wonderful spiritual community, and really could see that open discussions were helping each other. In the, the United Church of Christ I'm in now, we have a contemplative living group where we do practice uh, centering prayer, but then we have a Entirely open, judgment-free uh, conversations, and we listen deeply to one another. And the people, the people in both of those groups, are the people I've seen really settling into a a life of continuing contemplative practice and growing deeply and developing that calm resilience that's part of that, that, that abiding trust. Uh, we are, you know, partly, you were saying earlier, you know, and it's a huge part of Celtic spirituality and Hindu spirituality that we are embodied creatures. That's a whole, you know, and and that's a panentheist or a process view of God, that God is imminent in our, and so, you know, you, you've got this part, uh, I'm touching, I, I'm I'm looking at the screen, so I'm touching myself on the forehead. The viewers can't see that on the podcast, but you touch yourself on the forehead and you've got your your god part of the cerebellum right there in your brain and, you know, works great for higher connection. And then you've got the reptilian stem right at the, the bottom where you can feel kind of bumpy where, you know, you're brain goes down into your spine and uh you never that that telium stem will never go away and one of the things that's it that it you know millions of years of evolution has taught us is mimetic behavior we're ultimately mimetic behavior it's not monkey see monkey do it's human see human do uh you can do an experiment you if you're in a a cash register going out of a store and you say oh look at that a Reese's chocolate bar these are so good I'm getting one and walk on by I wouldn't be surprised if a person or two behind you said I haven't had a Reese's in a while that looked really good and they'll pick it up and buy it you know and Mimetic behavior, co- you know, this is Rene Girard, if you want to be heady theologian about this. And I do like Girardian theology. Uh, but, you know, it's it, this causes a lot of the hell in our world. This causes a lot of the rising authoritarianism, the bigotry, the hatred that we're experiencing right now. But also the good. And to me, the saddest thing is, you know we've lost faith in institutions, and I get it. And a lot of the churches that are dying deserve to die because they weren't engaging in life-transforming practices. So good riddance. But spiritual community is, I think, vital, and and I think it's a common I think it's a a a flow of we do things on our own in private each day at a time that works you know I I still am in the habit of of a morning sacred pursuit Uh, I think that's vital Uh, I still believe very deeply especially in in the centering prayer practice Uh, at the same time we get with community and you want to find real community I'm not talking about just the community that listens to a sermon or uh, I'm or, or or the kind of community that polices each other for the propositional correctness or something I'm talking about a place where people can share their reality without judgment, be listened to and affirm the Divine in one another but I, I think that is vital for a sustained uh, for swimming in the, uh, in the flow, in the river of God.
0: Yeah. The, that kind of communal aspect, um, for myself when I, so I don't, uh, I used to be, so I was in vocational ministry for six years. Um, and then I had left vocational ministry uh, because I had very negative experiences with some less than stellar people, um, and uh, then I was a brewer, and I, you know, I brewed beer. I started as bartender, ended up brewing beer, and I did that for about three years. And recently, um, I actually took a position as the parish administrator of a tiny little Episcopal church <laughs> in, uh, you know, not too far from where I live here in Baltimore. Um, and that, I mean, that was, you know, a buddy, Aaron, um, Simmons says that faith is risk in a direction, uh, talk about risking myself in a direction, uh, taking this job. Um, but community, all that to say community has been the thing that I've missed the most, uh, from when I used to, um, be a pastor and the community that I am, you know, full tilt, I'm a brewery that um, where I I did the, you know, the, the cool St. Brigid beer um, became my community. And I was there for about a year and a half. And that was a really beautiful thing. And then they went out of business. And that was like absolutely crushing. Um, And the new brewery (laughs) that I worked at um, didn't feel like community. It didn't feel like belonging and those kind of things and so returning into this like tiny little episcopal church where easily i bring down the uh average age of people involved by like 40 years
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but having the community that i have found there um just by being an administrator you know i am not even attending church there on sundays um has been so helpful and probably one of the greatest joys of of stepping back into this community um And so I think part of the, you said the word trust earlier, um, part of like the fear or the trust there is, um, being willing to trust people within this kind of community again, you know what I mean? Um, and there's the fear involved in that, but also it's like a trust in, um, in God, like, okay, well, you know, I have all these propositional cool things that I can say because of my process thought, um. But do I actually trust that when I live into that, it's going to happen? And so I, I don't know. I, I love the the advice or the the, the bit about community because that's been so incredibly important. So I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with something.
1: <laughs> I do love the Episcopal communion, but by, by the way. Uh, in many respects, it's the faith group in America that comes closest to the Celtic spirituality that I, I love. And I will say too, there, I'm glad you're serving as an administrator because, and not as a deacon or whatever. Because, and I won't waste much time because this only applies to a very few of our listeners. But uh, clergy being the hardest thing about clergy is wholeheartedly pursuing your relationship with God because there's always this question: Am I doing? the right thing spiritually, because that's my job. I'm the professional God modeler. Of course, we expect the pastor to be doing this spiritual prayer. Am I doing centering prayer because I need God or because I have to set a good example? And, you know, and am I doing a virtuous, you know, which, by the way, one of the cool things, again, one of the huge lessons in Taoism is doing the virtuous thing, not having to think about it, but being in, inwardly transformed. So you do it automatically and intuitively from the center, and you, you don't even have to think about it. You will do the right thing. That's the beauty of a long and deep spiritual uh, practice and one of the lessons of, of Taoism. But but it's hard for clergy is my point. And so, you know, I, I really it is a struggle. Um, so it's a blessed thing to just be part of the community. Another thing that really uh, I believe in, it's part of the community, it's its the fundamental precept of the community of Aden Hill, the Celtic neo-monastic community that I'm part of, which is having an Anamkara. That's, of course, the name of my publisher A N A M C H A R A Anamkara. It's the and John O'Donoghue wrote the very famous uh, the the most famous Celtic Christianity book or spirituality book is Anamkara. Uh, Anamkara means soul friend and we we mentioned Bridget earlier well one of the things in the earliest biography of Bridget is that she met a a brother at the monastery where she was abbess And she said, have you spoken to your soul friend today? He said, no, my soul friend died. And she said, why don't you have a new one? Uh, And and she said that a a spiritual seeker without a soul friend is like a body running around without a head. Um, But this was an important part of the ancient Celtic uh, practice was to have uh, this kind of, you know, the, but there are two ways I explain soul friend. One is in many more conservative traditions, you have a prayer partner, and if you've had a prayer partner for many years, you share deeply and honestly and without judgment. So a, a soul friend is is a prayer partner. Um. Also, if you're in any sort of twelve step and have a a sponsor, um, a sponsor is also a soul friend. Um. A, the the soul friend is the person. Who you can ask anything and they won't judge you, and you can trust yourself with. They'll also push you at times. Are, we, are you sure this is wise? <laughs> you know, um, where are you going here? Where's this going to wind up, really? Uh, uh, a person who's on your your wavelength in your relationship with God, and and they're the person you could call at two in the morning if you had to. Um, uh, and I think a soul friend is also a really important component in a long haul, uh, consistent and joyful, uh, spiritual life.
0: Yeah, I, um, I mean, there's, you know, like a, a few people that come to mind when you speak that way, um, but not, you know, not necessarily bridging the level of, you know, quote, a soul friend. Uh, but I just think of different people who maybe I refer to as like a mentor or something like that um, in my life and how helpful they've been. You know, uh, I don't say his name too much on the podcast because he'll get a big head. Uh, but Dr. <laughs> Jace Broadhurst is one of my <laughs> oh. one of those people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jace has been a very good friend of mine. Um, you know, as in like a men- mentor kind of role in that. Um I met Jace, Uh he was pastoring a church. I was fresh out of college at the time. Uh, so Jace, I think Jace has like 15 years on me. Forgive me, Jace, if I'm, you know, you know, uh overshooting that. But he's been super helpful. He's kind of been with me from my like fresh out of college working for Youth for Christ Right, mm-hmm. going through a crazy, you know, de- you know, being a pastor, getting hurt by the church, going through deconstruction, uh, you know, being in wherever I am now, <laughs> and he's kind of always been there, um, as a good friend and and one who you know does what you're saying, um, doesn't pass judgment. I can be honest with them, uh, and he'll call me on my bullshit. <laughs> There you and go. I, I like to return the favor. <laughs> there you go.
1: You you. But... Yeah, that's a soul friend and praise. Yeah, praise yeah. me that you have that person in your life. That's that's absolutely wonderful. Uh, Josh, would 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 you mind if I mentioned a couple of projects I've got in in the pipeline to share with your viewers? Just let them know what's. Uh, what's coming up up next.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. I think that would be wonderful. Um, you know, mention yeah, kind of mention those things and we can, uh, wrap up our, our time together today. Although I, I have very much enjoyed this conversation. Um, and would love to continue future dialogue with you. (laughs) That's something to be interested in, but. uh, Thank thank you. Yes, I'd love to appear
1: on, I guess you don't appear on a broadcast (laughs) literally, but I would would love to be a voice on your podcast again. I've thoroughly enjoyed this also. Uh, I want people to know that in November, there will be a four-part Oak and Lotus webinar. And uh, if you're interested in that, uh contact Anamkara A N A M C H A R A one word Anamkara Books that's the publisher for Oak and Lotus and for uh and for my, all, my, all my my uh, various books but uh Anamkara Books or if you want to Facebook friend me. I do more on Facebook. I'm, I'm of that age where I do more Facebook than Instagram or, or uh, TikTok or whatever. But uh, Kenneth Ark, as in Roger McIntosh is M-C-I-N-T-O-S-H. So Anamkara Books or Kenneth R. As in Roger, Kenneth R. Macintosh. Um, and if you want information about the Oak and Lotus webinar, I'm really excited. Uh, it'll be four full sessions, one for each chapter of the book. And it, you know, it'll be done live so people can get in the chat and ask questions, but I'll also be teaching sort of the kernel, plus some additional bits for each chapter on Oak and Lotus. So I'm very excited. I love to do live teaching like, like that. On, it'll be in a Zoom format. And also, uh, early next year, there will be a new edition of Soul of the Green Man, which uh, it's one of my... I, I I really love the the book I wrote. What happened is it's it came out as what I call a coffee table book. It has glossy pages, and and I got to use my photography for ten years of chasing uh, the green man, these foliated faces. Uh, if you know the the image, uh, you know it's like a human head with sprouts with leaves coming coming out. Uh, and uh, you know I spent a decade pursuing and photographing green men in, in, the, in the the Celtic nations. Uh, the green man is a multivalent interspiritual symbol. Uh, a lot of people know the pagan meanings of the green man. They don't realize the green man has a very deep Christian meaning uh, as, as well. But what happened is uh, the current edition of the Soul of the Green Man is a beautiful book And because of that, the way publishing is going, it's been priced out of what most people can afford, frankly, which is, I think, a shame. Uh, So my publisher has uh, they're going to come out with a black and white edition and they have a wonderful artist on staff and she is rendering the photos in the book into really brilliant, uh, beautiful line drawings, very neat. Sometimes a line drawing art brings a stone ancient artifact into even, you can see it better than you can in the photo, really. Uh, so I'm I'm very excited about Green Man coming out uh, in, in the uh, early next year in a, a more affordable edition. So those are a couple of things that that are happening that I'm excited about.
0: Yeah, awesome. I'll be sure to uh kind of link all those different things um in the show notes, you know, for convenience of our listeners so they can uh reference those very quickly. Um yeah, and uh I'm now I'm looking forward to these things as well. <laughs> <laughs> I've taken some some uh, copious notes as, as we've been talking and um again I've just really enjoyed this conversation. So thank you so much for uh, your time for your work and, uh, for hanging out today. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Josh. I'm so glad you reached out for me. What a real gift it's been being on this show and, uh, blessings to you and to all of, uh, your listeners. Thank you yes. so much.
0: Yes. Thank you. And, and listeners I'll echo that. And, and as always guys, uh, go in peace. Go in peace. (laughs) Bless you. Namaste.